Good morning again, folks. To you and also over the century side. Well, before I begin this morning, I realize the Lord has put in my heart uh, something to share with you. And first of all, kind of remind ourselves that whenever we come to worship the Lord, uh, first and foremost, our focus is really on God and God Himself. Uh, meaning, just to remind ourselves, we do not know really, uh, look forward to a speaker. We thank God for speakers and pastors, or even the worship leaders, or who will be on duty, or will you be seeing a friend? But it's okay, folks. Uh, this is actually secondary. The thought the Lord had put in my heart is, you come, you really come to worship God. Regardless where it is, the harp or century or elsewhere. The second thought is, especially when you come to the sermon time, uh, this is quite uh, challenging. Uh, the thought is that, please, if you want to text a friend or read the message, do before the sermon time. And you tell your friend, if you want to send a reply or message, please wait for 20 minutes or another half an hour because I'm going to mute the phone. I'm going to receive God's message now, not your message. Is that right, folks? Will you do that? <laughs> Thank you. And give God a clap of thing. Come on, daily. Now, not because I'm speaking. I'm saying whenever you come to worship, I know we are busy with the phone, you know, of course, maybe you just need to take photo on the slide. It's okay. But don't take the same time to read some messages. Because our focus here really to receive the message from God and God Himself. And really that to really enhance our time together here in worship. Okay, let's pray. Our Father, we want to thank you again for putting us together as a family, as your people worshipping you, expressing our love through songs, to prayer, and now the time for meditation over your word. So we ask that indeed the Spirit himself will come by and to guide us in every way that we hear from you. So we pray as a people that you speak and we all listen. In Jesus' name, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Okay, just to share a personal encounter here. Uh, my wife and I went to the airport to send somebody off for their job assignment uh, in the States. And now you know that it, whenever you go to airport, you can't miss the big new building. You know what is that? We call the doer. How many of you have been there? No, not to embarrass you, thank you. Good. Uh, I went there actually also on my off day. But really the first thing that attracted us was to walk toward the center and see this beautiful uh, water run. Do you see the picture? Uh, this was taken by me. Lah. It's okay, right? Uh, just for my own consumption. But I want to show you. Uh. But I, I realized uh, it's really impressive kind of uh, feature that we Singaporeans are really proud of this day. 
And I'm not really that sentimental. I, I don't try to tell you, wow. But when I look at that, it's very, very, very impressive. Uh, looking at uh, water coming down every second, you know. There's no pause. And even my son reminded me, we go at night better, right? More colorful, changing the color here and there. Uh, but we were there at the daytime. And so I'd like to share this thought with you, the excitement, uh, the vision uh, that I can capture together with my wife. It's really something unique. And other features like, you know, the garden at the bay. Uh, shy to tell you, I haven't been there yet. And so I can't describe to you how I will feel. But so far here is uh, very impressive. So this is something that I will treasure for a while. And so when you come to Aldersgate Convention or the Aldersgate Sunday, and just we just passed it uh, last week, and you realize we are here to capture the unique experience that John Wesley had uh, in his day. And just for the intro on Aldersgate, uh, this is not something that really plucked out from the air. You look up, it's a real place, and it's situ situated in the city of London, in UK. This one of the old pictures we'll call Orders Gate. It's really like a gate. And today you can see, you call it the Orders Gate Strait, and you know, Orders Gate Place. Uh, it's a ward, W-A-R-D, in the city of London. So my point to tell you is, Aldersgate is not something that, you know, like scriptural or something that is unknown to us. It's a very real place in UK, in the city of London. So we talk about uh, John Wesley's unique experience meeting God in Aldersgate Street. It was a real place. And for your info, John Wesley was a real person. Uh, it's not really like uh, we heard uh, elsewhere or just keep him in mind that he lived up to the age of 88, you know, the kind of situation. Uh, uh, what they call a man really used by God uh, in those days. And in fact, uh, from our official office just last week, uh, we normally, what we have, or the Aldersgate Convention, uh, he had organized uh, pastors combined fellowship that the three conferences, uh, ETAC, CAC, and TRAC, all the pastors and staff, we had time of fellowship together and followed by two lectures at night, Wednesday, Thursday, on Friday, three. And then we also have yesterday a combined service, closing service as we commemorate the event that John Wesley went through during his time. So just briefly to remind ourselves about this Aldersgate experience, that it was saying that John Wesley was in a very low point, uh, went back to UK after his mission trip in the States uh, for two years, not very fruitful, successful in the ministry, as a priest, as a preacher, or as a missionary in mind. But then he went back to UK in the year uh, 1738. Then on the night on May 24th, 
he will say that with a very heavy heart, reluctantly, he went to join a church prayer meeting in Aldersgate Street in UK there. It was held by those Ruvadian, uh, Moravian uh, church people, and he joined. But as he was there, at the clock struck at 8.45, and someone read the Martin Luther precedes on the epistles of Romans, it was said he felt strangely warm. And so we believe God has kind of pressed upon him. And this is what he wrote there. I felt my heart strangely warm. I felt I did trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. And assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins and even mine and saved me from the law of sin and death. What John Wesley had written in his journal, he has a lot like journal, kind of record his personal life and ministry, that this was really the highlight of his uh, life to remind himself that God had become very real to him on that specific moment of prayer and his life. And now we recall history tell us it was like his conversion experience that he knew John Wesley knew that he may know God, but he did not have that personal experience of God in his life until at that moment, on 24th May 1738. You count it almost 200 years ago, and we are still talking about John Wesley's experience with us. Now, to me, we are not really worshipping John Wesley, or he be a cult leader to us. Uh, to me, or perhaps many of us as the Methodist Church, that we want to remember how God used him as a man with his background, started the Methodist movement uh, leading to a church, a denomination that we have today. So just for our reflection, that John Wesley was something like biblical people like Abraham, Jacob, the old Joseph in the Old Testament, Moses, King David. They got at the certain season of time and met, uh, ministry, raised up men for the work of God altogether. And interestingly, Paul writes in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 to 21 to remind us about the vessel that plays God's hand. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And so we look through the biblical characters like Abraham, Jacob, or even old Joseph or Moses and King David and so on and so forth. Even go down, go down to the line of John Wesley, they had the fault. They had the ups and downs, they had the strength and weaknesses too. But God had used them as vessel for the master use in the good work. So kind of reflection and challenge for all of us and looking at you, that God had a place for you to stir in you to work something good in your life and for others.
never, never in your mind or yourself to say, I am not good enough for this or for that. At least you are something good in some way. Alright, think about it. So when we ask you to assist in the ministry, we know you may not be able to preach or even lead in a prayer meeting, but you can do some manual work, uh, something, or help in the refreshment and things like that. Do something for the Lord. From Philippines 4.13, we say, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And Paul was very sure about it way that God can use him. So as a kind of reflection again, the Order Skate Sunday, which I uh, observed last Sunday, uh, the Sunday before the Order Skate, May 24, we call it the Order Skate Sunday, it will be an opportunity uh, for us to have our spiritual inventory or stock checking, self-examinations, is how do I put my experience of God into my life? Uh, folks, I believe that we are sitting here, it's not by chance, or just kind of walking. It's, it's by the divine appointment that you have encountered God somehow, a point of your life. The question is, how do I put my experience of God into my life? You must kind of express it, demonstrate it, don't keep it, so to speak, or shy to share it. Open up and share with us how God has come into your life. I have my own personal testimony of how God has touched my life many, many years ago, and He's still working in my life for the good of His kingdom work. I thank God for that. So you must try and express it demonstrate it, uh, reveal it to us, more to really give God the glory in your life. And so back to John Wesley, the night that happened to him will not just stop there. In fact, it was already his turning point. He moved out from the prayer meeting, a different man, a uh, different worldview of how God can use him for greater work to come. So short and sweet in the sense to mention that he started the Methodist movement uh, by doing a lot of preaching, ministering to the people on the highway and byway of UK, moving uh, from uh, the north to south, and then the east and west over UK, and uh, raise up men and women for the kingdom work. And someone reminded me that I need to talk something like he even started call societies and a meeting of people together for more accountability and to check one another in their lives and uh, able to even rebuke one another and restore one another in the faith and even go into a class, you know, the different class of people, like a kind of cell group uh, for more into of accountability how you live your Christian life from Monday to even your Sunday, you know, as we meet and talk about your faith in God, just to serve up one another. That's how the Methodist movement grew uh, in those days. Uh, more of a community kind of living and sharing, then like in the book of Acts, that John Wesley has started 
in those days. And beautifully, in the end of his life, John Wesley's conclusion and say in his deathbed was, the best of all, God was with us, or God is with us. He did not tell the people and say, the best of all, I have accomplished so much for God. But the best of all, that God is with us. For what be manifested to the community and even to the world today. So the question we ask ourselves is, how do we put this experience of God in us? What can we learn from such a giant of God? The order scale experience. And this is how we need to come back and look at the text this morning text in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. We talk about the compassion of Jesus. Let me read to you. It says that Jesus went about the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the kingdom or the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, verse 38, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Now, interestingly, the Lord asked the disciple, at this verse 38, You pray to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers. Uh, it implies that Jesus is not going to send laborers, right? You pray, but the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers. And so here, give a thought to me, as I read out, that reminded us that God said, you folks are busy already, the disciples, you, you have your ministry, you are doing very fine. But pray now to have more laborers to join you and to do the work of the kingdom. You start praying for it. And this will be a kind of multiplication of disciples in the midst and to go into the harvest for the Lord. More hands make work light. That's the idea. Just like now we set up the thing here, you have more helpers, you make the thing lighter. Correct, folks? Come on, say amen. You're right. <laughs> and so you pray that God will raise up more laborers with us uh, to do the work of the kingdom. Because very often we appear, I would say, inward looking. Uh, we come and then we go off and leave the rest to do the work. But here you learn from the compassion for Jesus when he looked at the harvest, there are many more things to do. And many more people need to hear the gospel of Jesus. Just like in John chapter 4, verse 35, he says, Do not say there are yet four months, then come the harvest. But behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the field. They are white for harvest. The harvest is always here, folks. The people are over here. The masses are over here. Your neighbors is always with you. Your colleagues is always with you. Your loved ones is always with you. They are the harvest. If we need you, 
to bring the gospel to them. Because whether you like it or not, we see the world as the lost and dying world, being entrapped in sins and in their wickedness. They try to get out of it and find peace. They can't. In fact, they committed more crime maybe to come and to kind of release themselves. Just a case, a point in case, uh, this uh, drug offender that is still in the media is given the grand stay of execution. Are you familiar with that media, folks? Do that how this uh, person from our neighboring country was caught <coughs> in the drug trafficking? Actually, it should be executed already last week. But there was a grand stay of execution, appeals coming to the authority. And every one of us jolly well know that drug trafficking is a death penalty in Singapore. And we can't kind of escape from there. But yet, sad to say, people still risking the life uh, for various reasons, perhaps the greediness or financial problem or family issue or just try to take chances to beat the law. But yet they are now dangling in the air about their life. And so the world stands in need of the grace of God. People need to come to the saving grace of Jesus so that Jesus can lift them up from all this burden and weariness of life to help them and lead them to live a life that will be really pleasing to God. Avoid sinning, avoid wickedness and unrighteous living. Giving a life, living a life holy and sanctified by God and His Spirit. The world needs to hear the good news. The world need to know that God can help them and transform the life together. So here I put a sentence here. Our most urgent need is to recapture the vision for the world without Christ. We're not a world that God has so designed. In fact, John Wesley in his entire ministry, he looked at the people. He said, the world is my parish. And he knew he's not just confined to the UK, but he can go into America, the new world. Therefore, he sent uh, local preachers over uh, to Ventureland in America. And then from there, he started the Methodist Church. And from there, he come into Southeast Asia, or to South Asia, to India, now to Singapore, to have this Methodist Church before us. So the world is a parish, folks. We just confine our, don't confine it to ourselves, but to take the gospel far and wide. Because Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 14 to 15, he says, How then were they called on him, on God, in whom they have not believed? And how are they believed in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach? Unless they are sent, uh, it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 
Now, folks, we are not saying that you must be a preacher to do this. We are saying that you'll be the mouthpiece for God. Open your mouth and to declare the goodness of God that is in you, in me, and in all of us. will be good enough to tell the people about Jesus. And let me close this time uh, with this wonderful story that I gather by reading the book from John Albert. The book is called God is Closer Than You Think. It involved John himself, the writer, and the mother, Katie, and the couple, uh, what they call Ted and Joanne, and they are barbers, you know, uh, in the shop. Uh, before that, John went for a conference, a prayer seminar, and using the word C-I-H-U. You can see the next slide. Can I help you? It's a prayer seminar, and it was taught that when you want to think of somebody, think of C-I-H-U. Can I help? As a prayer contact. All right. Maybe we can try it later. I know after the service, someone came to share with me. Can I help you, Pastor? Oh yeah, wonderful. Can I have a cup of coffee? Then <laughs> after that, I will say, walk away. I say, where's my coffee? <laughs> All right, the contact is not really getting a cup of coffee. The contact is, what can I help you in prayer? As a kind of starting point. So John, the author, uh, shared this story very wonderfully, surely a true story about himself with the mummy and the couple, the bubbles. And he would say that John went to visit the mother or the parents and wanted to have a haircut. And so asked the parents, where should he go? And so they recommended a family barber to tag, you know, the man, or the owner of the shop. So John went there. And he kind of took the advantage to remember this CI issue while he was having his haircut. He prayed. And he would say he spent a long conversation with the barber, tech, talking about the faith and God. And so when John was done, he went home and told the mom, Katie. See, mom, I just visited the tech in the shop and we have a long conversation. And next time, when you go to the shop and get the white Duane to do the hairdo, please use CIHU. Talk. Then the mother looked at John and said, No way. Oh, what a disappointing. Because the mama, mommy's reply was, I know this couple well. For Duane, the wife, this is her fifth marriage. And for the man, this is his third marriage. And so by hearing that, you know, you know, the family had Tanya uh, background or dysfunctional kind of family, perhaps. So in the mummy's heart, said no, because this couple seemed to be just happy going with party or like to spend a lot of money, but nowhere in their lives there is any indication about the openness to God. So it can be very disheartening, huh? discouraged for us to talk, right? So mommy said no. 
But when mommy later had an appointment or make an appointment to do her hairdo, she remembered. And so she sat on the um, bubble chair, and this lady, Joanne, came. So mommy, Katie, remember what John had told her to use CIHU. Can I help in prayer? So she prayed. Say, God, I want to do this opportunity to see how I can minister to Joanne. But you must show me some sign. I don't know how to go about it. And so she just prayed that prayer. And do you know what happened, folks? Why Duane came to her and starting to do the hairdo. First thing Duane did was to ask Katty, the mummy. The question was, Hey, Katty, I know that you and your husband are having a Bible study group in your house. Ted and myself would like to visit your group one day. Wow. Mummy Katty was taken aback. That could be really a sign from God for how she can open up herself to do in in further conversation. Well, put it uh, short and sweet, uh, there was history here. Uh, it's become history now. The, the story continued to say, very soon, uh, this couple bubble shop has become a place where people can feel the presence of God together. Simply means that the couple has opened their hearts to God along the way of the weakness by this John and the mummy into their lives and others are coming to know the Lord to their own content. And so folks, you can see how God can give us opportunities gives us prayer that we don't really need too much but just be a mouthpiece and be obedient enough to say, Lord, I will ask the person, can I help you? And the rest is God and the rest will be history for us. So here we want to capture this morning about all this gig experience. Simply, it's a passion for others. Started with John Wesley, and he spread so called the fire to his family together with brother Charles Wesley, uh, who wrote all the uh, hymns in the hymn and into the movement called the Methodist movement into the church that you and I are in today. So, for your information, the Methodist church is a very old church. 300 years ago, looking at his age, 1703, when John Wesley was born, or starting with 1738, 200 years ago. We are not a new brand church that God just raised up. We have our heritage, we have our ups and downs, we have uh, uh, teaching from the scripture to now. So, I've been Going up also in the Methodist church. Very proud to be a Methodist. I'm not sure about you. 
uh, I used to say and tell people, I got the Methodist blood with me. Cuba. <laughs> got a feeling that um, we are now in the Methodist church and looking at the experience that John Wesley had. But it's not really just for our own consumption, as I say. It should be a sparker to reach out to the masses, to reach out to our neighbor, to reach out to the person who trim your hair or do your fissure and so on. Just try it, folks. C-I-H-U. Can I help you? And the rest, God will do it. So in conclusion, let me challenge you with these paragraphs. We say first, be prepared to get onto your knees and pray to God to open your eyes. It's a personal experience to what is around you and to fill you with his compassion of this sinful world. Think about it. Second, to stay on your knees and play with him for workers to labor in the area you see. You see, there are so many areas to cover. We cannot be everywhere. But pray that God will raise up laborers to make contact with people. At least you can pray for that prayer. Third, is to seal out what he wants you to do and then to do it whether it's sometimes grand or small. The scriptures say we are faithful in the later. He will entrust you to greater work in the future. Sometimes we want to start by aiming very high. Maybe the bishop or the Methodist church. Can, but you take your time. Let us begin with a simple laborer job for the Lord. And you will faithful with later, I'm sure he will expand your work and ministry in many years to come. Amen. Let's pray. Now, Father, we want to thank you for meditation this morning before us using John Wesley's conviction experience to reminder for us that we can also do something for you. So we pray for these dear ones who are here to worship you, that truly we will not just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.